Girl Boss is brought to you by Monster. Find employees who work as hard as you do at monster.com slash hiring. Monster, find better. And by ShipStation. Selling online has never been easier. Try ShipStation free for 30 days by going to shipstation.com and get an additional month free when you use offer code GIRLBOSS. And by Lola. Get peace of mind about what you're putting in your body with Lola's 100% hypoallergenic cotton tampons. For 60% off your first order, go to mylola.com, M-Y-L-O-L-A.com, and enter GIRLBOSS when you subscribe. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder of NastyGal.com, the author of Girl Boss, and the soon-to-be author of Nasty Galaxy, which you can pre-order now. On each episode, I invite a different woman onto the show to trace the steps she took to creating her own future, what she learned, and what we can learn from her story. Today's guest is Julia Landauer. NASCAR racer Julia Landauer has the need for speed. At 14, she became the first and youngest female champion to win the legendary Skip Barber Racing Series. In addition to racing her second full NASCAR season, Julia stays busy as the CEO of Julia Landauer Racing, which supports her business ventures on the track. She's a graduate of Stanford University with a degree in science, technology, and society, and is a fierce advocate of STEM education for girls. Julia, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is super exciting. exciting. I'm trying to recall when we met, and it was kind of super serendipitous. I was in the Bay Area. Did you live in the Bay Area at that time? I was. I had graduated from Stanford, and I was just coming back on a trip to visit some people and have some meetings because I was in Palo Alto. Yeah, and so I was at Ron Johnson's office, who is one of our investors and has a company now called Enjoy. He used to work at Apple. And you stopped by, and Mm -hmm. we met, and I was just like, oh, my God, I've never met a female race car driver. This is so cool, and it's been maybe about a year since then. And what were you doing hanging out with Ron Johnson? Yeah, so I knew that Ron had gone to Stanford, and I was just – I emailed him out of the blue just because I had some business questions, some, like, advice that I wanted to ask from him. And he was awesome and put me in touch with some other people who have been really helpful. And so just kind of staying in touch with him and and getting back in the loop. And so, yeah, it was exciting. It was exciting just to stop by. I wasn't expecting to to meet you there, but that was so cool. Total girl boss lesson, though. You can get advice from people that no one would ever think is – approachable oh, yeah. or reachable just by trying. You need right? to have no shame. That's yeah. something I learned early on. Yeah, just like have no good. shame about going after Learn it early. Need. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you're from New York. How did you get into racing? Were you just racing a go-kart down Broadway or what? Well, close. I was racing a go-kart. Yeah, my parents got my siblings and I into go-karting when I was 10. And they liked racing, but they wanted something that their kids could do together on the weekends, but also they really wanted their girls to compete against boys. So I didn't ask to go go-karting, but they got us into it, and I fell in love with it. And so we figured out how we could climb the ranks and keep going, and then made the switch to cars when I was 13. But we wow. drove two hours outside of New York City every weekend to go go-karting. How is it even legal to drive a car when you're 13? You have to take advanced racing schools. So the Skip Barber Racing Series is basically an arrive-and-drive series. And so you kind of I had to prove that I could brake properly, that I could handle the car, and then when I was 14, I became their first female champion. So that was it's really so, exciting. So amazing. And so that's a pretty legendary series, right? Yeah, it's been going on for like 40 years at this point. That's so and cool. so it was really cool to kind of make that mark so early in my career and kind of get that credibility as a really good, at that time, girl racer. I mean, yeah. That was, Were there other girls racing? 
There were some older women racing for fun, but I was one of the only ones really pushing it. And then after me, you saw more and more women go through the program and girls. How did it feel to win? Oh, it was awesome. It is it's amazing to work really hard and have it pay off. And then it's also really cool to make history and to inspire other people who didn't think they could do it. That was just really incredible. And it's always good to be the best. It's always <laughs> I, fun. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I listened to a, I think it was maybe a radio show that you were on and you talked about your dad and how hard he was on you, which is something that I really relate to. And growing up with that was really fucking hard. But in retrospect, it made me a better person or just someone who's capable of pushing myself and who expects a lot of the people around me. Can you tell me like a little bit about that? What's your dad's name? Yeah, my dad's name is Steve and my mom's name is Tracy. And they are definitely they take on an aggressive parenting style. Uh And, um, you know, one of, for example, one of the stories that I like telling is when I was 14, we were racing go-karts and a national race. And I had done really well in practice. But by the time we get to the time trials for qualifying, I had leveled off and my competitors got faster. And it's just like I lost that edge. I lost that fire. And so my dad woke me up early the next morning and he went up to my bed and grabbed me by the shoulders and said, you need to rip their livers out. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. And this was at like 7 in the morning. And again, scrawny little <laughs> 14-year-old, he grabbed me by the shoulders and he was basically just saying that, you know, I – the other boys had gotten beat by me the other day, and so they were pissed off, and I needed to be just as angry. And so it was through that really aggressive, you know, just sparking a fire in me that he was kind of giving me permission to be aggressive in a way that I was never being told. I mean, as a 14-year-old girl, I was going through puberty. They weren't telling uh-huh. me that in school, for instance, and yeah. it was very liberating, and we had a really successful go-kart weekend. So, you know, he gave me a hard time and made me very uncomfortable, but as you said, now I'm at the point where I see that life starts outside of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. and I'm so grateful that I was so uncomfortable growing up a lot of the time. And not in a bad way. It wasn't an abusive way by any means. It was just, you know, get your shit together now. And, um, you know, they were giving me a great responsibility and a great opportunity to do something super cool with racing. So they were going to expect me to behave accordingly. And um, it's definitely helped me. Yeah. So you live in Charlotte, North Carolina now, but you went to Stanford. Not only are you an accomplished race car driver. You also have an incredible degree in science, technology, and society. What does society mean? Science, technology, and society, it's it's meant to be very interdisciplinary. And it's supposed to show that you have some technical understanding as well as some humanistic components, right? So they want having a technical knowledge on its own may or may not work if you don't know how to integrate it into society. So you're a human machine. It's yeah. basically <laughs> it's the, human right, machine it's the right brain education. Exactly. So it's uh, it was really cool. It gave me a lot of freedom. And with racing, you know, it's a different type of sport because it is such a business. It's so financially based. Um, you need sponsorship to keep climbing the ranks. And so I knew that my parents were going to come to an end in terms of funding my career. And so in addition to wanting to further my education, you know, Stanford was really cool because it's so innovative. It's in a hotbed of new technology that's coming around. Great alumni program for networking. And it was in California. I kind of wanted to get far away from home yeah. for a little bit. Yeah, that's a good thing to do at a young age. Yeah. And at what age did you say, have the perspective, because I don't relate to this, to say, 
I really want to integrate the human-machine dynamic and study at Stanford these things that can then benefit my racing career. And now you're, what, 23? 24. 24, and you're actually doing it. I really envy that. I think it's so cool and so mature. But who helped you arrive at that? Or did you just – did you do research on what your major could be? Or was it just always natural you were so fascinated by the fact that you could drift with a machine? Yeah, so it's definitely the latter. Um, When I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, I was a scrawny little girl, and I was able to manhandle a machine. It was so cool to be able to make something go really fast, to understand the basic level physics behind why the go-kart would handle a certain way. So that human-machine interaction was just always interesting. And then as I did more research, and I went to a math and science high school, so this was kind of always in my mind, I just did more research and, and you know figured out what really turned me on with school and what really turned me on with racing and how I could combine those and had a lot of help from my parents along the way. I mean, they've always been very supportive and really encouraging me to pursue what I want and helping me find the feasibility in that. And so mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate with that. But I don't know. I think I have a can-do attitude, and you know, there's a lot that I want to experience and a lot that I want to do, and so yeah. that naturally drives me to keep learning yeah. more yeah. on the race. Yeah, racing track. is so interesting because, unlike many other sports, it's not divided by gender. Anyone can operate a vehicle. Definitely. Are there any other sports like that? I think fencing might be a little oh, interesting, and maybe like competitive skydiving. I think. And back with me is Shara Morris, our producer here on the ground in Los Angeles, who's going to jam out with me on some of these fun ads. <laughs> Can't wait. Anyway, one of our advertisers is Monster.com, which has nothing to do with monsters. It has everything to do with jobs. And as there are many small business owners listening to this podcast, we all work endless hours to pursue our goals, and Monster makes it easier for us to find the right people for the right jobs. They have 20 years of experience. And they they build custom hiring solutions, so it's really specific for your small business. Visit monster.com slash hiring for a limited time offer and to find employees who work as hard as you do. Monster, find better. How does someone actually make money racing? So there's just getting the car on the track. Is yeah. it getting sponsorships above and beyond that yeah. the price of doing that? So there's a lot of ways that you can make money. And so one, there's like a salary from a team. If you're bringing sponsorship to a team and you can get a salary, you also get some percentage of the total prize money that you get. And then there's personal endorsements. And so that's those are the three primary ways that drivers make money. And um, that escalates quite a bit once you get to that first professional series, which would be the next step up for me. But then, yeah, so it's it's low ROI up until that point. Yeah. You know? How did you get your sponsorships? Who was your first sponsor? My first sponsor was Cabo Wabo Cantina when I okay, was amazing. 15. <laughs> yeah. So Sammy Hagar. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Sammy. He, he sponsored the team, and I was a recipient of that. And because we were a junior racing series, we couldn't have the tequila. We had to have the, the restaurant, basically the cantina. So that was the uh-huh. first sponsor. Not not that healthy. No, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> um, it was a fun series. But then since then, I've done a lot of the outreach. And so we had Computer Software Innovations, which was a software engineering company that came on for the last race of my season last year. And we've had the Institute for Career Advancement Needs come on. And this year we have Toyota and Napa Filters. And so it's and they really sponsor the team and you are and you benefit from that or Sorry. you got to wrestle up your own as yeah, well? Yeah, it, it goes both ways. Sometimes it's a team. And right now, um, Toyota 
Racing and Napa Filters are sponsoring me and my car personally. Yeah. So they are my sponsors, which is really exciting. And it was really cool to put on a good performance for the first race. And yeah. it's tough, though. I mean, it's a tough sell. And you have to kind of create value, not just from exposure on the car and within the industry, because with digital marketing and everything, we need to you know, that kind of marketing is going away. And so really show how we can create value in other ways. And, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and trying to incorporate that into how I can benefit a company, maybe not in the spotlight, but kind of behind the scenes. And so it's just a matter of being super creative with that. And mm-hmm. and it's hard. What was that first race like with your sponsors? Did it up the game? Did you have a cooler outfit on or like? Oh, I definitely had a cooler oh, outfit. Yeah. <laughs> so my racing suit is black and red and it has Toyota all over it. And cool. it looks pretty badass. Cool. And the car is red, black and gray. Do you gray. have it tailored? Is it made? Oh yeah. It's it's personally made to me. I went oh, into so cool. Simpson Race Products is the company that makes them and they, you know, they measure me and it came back all not fitting perfectly. So I go back and they fix it because you got to be super comfortable mm-hmm. in the car. But it was really cool. And it was definitely nerve-wracking because this was the you know one of the first seasons where I've had such prominent sponsorship and obviously I need to prove that their investment in me is worthwhile mm-hmm. and so everyone knew it was a big step that I was taking from last year we have twice the horsepower and it's a little heavier of a car so it's a huge jump that I was making but really showed that I could compete with the boys and I was up there racing with the top five and so that was that's always really good and on such a difficult track it was good and so my sponsors came back happy. How do you secure sponsorships? Really I mean it's it's such a hustle every step of the way and part of it you know I spent some time cold calling and put together some really good documents and media materials and pitch decks, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then so there's some of that. But then there's also done a ton of networking over the past six years or so. And so just seeing if people have personal introductions that they can make and, you know, just really trying anything, any way that if if I can find a connection between me and a company, and there's some way that I can present that to decision makers, that's really important. And so there's no right way to go about doing this. You know, a lot of racers at my level just have the personal family funding to to get their racing. Yeah, how much would their family have to cough up a year for them to race? How much does something like that cost? People at this level, people are spending between about three quarters of a million dollars and like three million dollars to go racing for a bunch of different racing in the series. So we're talking major dollars. You know, it, it makes sense. There's all the equipment, all the tires, all the gas, all the labor, transport to and from the track, entry fees, you know. All of that stuff. So How much do the cars cost? You race a car that someone else owns yeah. and maintains, which is pretty standard. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. standard. Because at this stage, the car itself is is expensive, and we're talking you know anywhere in the fifty to seventy grand range. Okay. But then it's all of the maintenance and upkeep. Totally, and it's a very fascinating sport in that sense. But it makes yeah. it so much harder. It's not like pure talent will just get you to the top no matter what. Yeah, which is. A double-edged sword means if you can conquer the marketing and the business side, that's really great. But it also means that some people who may or may not be as deserving get up front. But that's kind of how the real world works. Take advantage of the fact that you're a girl. Oh, yeah. And New (laughs) York City, I mean, people, it's so different to be from New York City racing NASCAR. And that's a market that I hope that can help them really tap into because New York doesn't have any kind of hometown hero to latch onto. So there's no... Totally. Yeah, I mean, there's. it's still going to be a while, I think, before accomplishing something is just accomplishing something and that you don't get extra credit for being a woman doing it, which, you know, I have gotten and I'm sure you've gotten Mm -hmm. and that's the state of affairs today. So you use your responsibility wisely, but it's also something that while you can take advantage of what you can without harming other people, you should do it. I completely agree with that. And, you know, there are enough uphill battles that we face that (laughs) that we can take advantage of. Just like waking up in the morning is hard enough. Like, (laughs) Racing sounds like such a 
dangerous thing. But, you know, so does flying through the air in, like, a really heavy airplane. Is it safer yeah. to be on a track than it is on a freeway? It is 100% safer to be on okay. the track. And people have this perception of these dangerous, fiery crashes. And since the early 2000s, so much has been done to improve the safety of cars. Again, they are they are engineered to absorb all the energy from a crash so the driver doesn't. The walls around the racetrack are partially concrete, but they're also what we call safer barriers. So it's a combination of dense foam and, and metal, sheet metal, that compresses more and, again, absorbs the energy. So... You know, there are the couple of fatalities and the couple of broken bones in the thousands of racers that are out there. But for the most part, it's really safe. We don't have anywhere near the, you know, minor but um, sidelining injuries of soccer or football or even, like, track and field. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we just don't really get those types Man, of injuries. Football. Football's tough, yeah. And, yeah. and, like, you know, parents will come up and say, how do you – to my parents, like, how will you let your kids do that? It's like, well, they're not getting concussed. They're yeah, not breaking any not bones. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. I've heard you've crashed a couple times. Yes. Um, can you say crash or do you say collision? They taught me the word collision when I watched those videos in high school when they taught us how to No, we crash. crash. <laughs> we but, hit the wall. Yeah. Yeah, so crashing crashing's interesting because there are the really big, dramatic crashes that you, that you see on TV a lot. And that happens sometimes. But then there's also just you'll hit the wall a little bit just enough to damage your car and then not be able to keep racing. So I've done plenty of that. Everyone has. I've had two really bad crashes. One was in when I was 16, my axle, which keeps the wheels together and kind of has the brake system on it. Freak accident, it snapped in half. And so basically I lost my brakes and I lost my steering. So coming out of the corner, I just went straight into a concrete wall. And the car is built to crumble, right? It is built to absorb the energy. That's a lot of the physics behind it. So that the car absorbs all the energy from the crash, not the driver. But it's still pretty dramatic and you're just like, oh, everything hurts and have to get out of the car. So was able to walk away from it. The other one was we were five laps from the end of a race. Now these laps are 16 seconds. So we were about a minute oh away from the end of a race. Someone had spun and so we had all bunched up together and we were about to restart the race in two columns. And so the guy behind me just started pushing my bumper so much that he got stuck in my bumper and just kept ramming oh, on the no. throttle. And it sent me sideways, and I ricocheted off the outside wall of the racetrack onto the inside wall of the racetrack. Did he apologize and later? No. What? No. I mean, the, no. I mean, crashing happens, but it's just such an unnecessary, aggressive move. And my car went from, like, its normal length from nose to so tail. So he was like a to, dick. Yeah, definitely. That's insane. And I went to go. He was like this 40-year-old guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to go talk to him afterwards. I went up to his trailer. Didn't barge in because that's not what you do. It's not good sportsmanlike. But mm -hmm. I went to his trailer and wanted to talk to him. And his wife or girlfriend came out. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. You can't go in there. What do you think you're doing? And I was just like, do you think I'm going to beat him up or something? Like, I just want to talk. And she looked at me like, no, well, you're clearly not going to try to fight him because that would be dumb. But, no, you can't talk to him. I was like, wow. wow, what an unsportsmanlike guy. So you have those things in racing. But as you move up, you know, you have to race the same people all the time. And so if you're known as a bad sport, that's going to come back to bite you. Do you so. have any rivals? Is he a rival? Well, I haven't raced against him since then. <laughs> so, um, but no, th this year I just, you know, this past weekend just started my first race of the season. And I'm really happy that I feel like I'm meshing pretty well with my competitors. you got some younger guys and you got some older guys. But, you know, once I prove myself on track, which I've more or less done already, you know, they see you as a competitor. So in the early days, I was the person 
putting every label on every package. And as I wrote in Girl Boss, I was very adamant about how straight they were on the package and that no small detail was too small. ShipStation.com brings all your orders into one beautiful interface. ShipStation.com helps you get your orders out super quickly, whether you sell on eBay, Amazon, Shopify, Etsy, or over 65 other popular shopping channels. You can create shipping labels for all the top carriers, including UPS, FedEx, and USPS. With ShipStation.com, you'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. So no wonder they're the number one choice of online sellers. They sound like a great company. So <laughs> right now you can try ShipStation.com free for 30 days. I highly recommend it. And you can get an additional month free, but only if you use the offer code GIRLBOSS, exclusive to our listeners, offer code GIRLBOSS. Go to ShipStation.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com. Enter, Enter Girl, Girl Boss. Boss. <laughs> and so 2015 was your career highlight. You won a championship. Yeah. Tell me about it. So I won a NASCAR track championship. So basically it was NASCAR sanctioned. And I was the first woman to do it at that racetrack. And it was a famous racetrack in Virginia called Motor Mile Speedway. And it was just really cool because it was the first time I had had a full season post-college. So kind of left the academic mindset and got back into the killer racer mode. And I was really nervous. I hadn't raced a big stock car, like the type of NASCAR cars, in four years. And so I just again, really nervous, and we went out for the first race and ended up winning. It's like, all right, well, now there's even more pressure. We have to do it again and end up winning four out of the eight races and won the championship. And it was just, it was really cool to show that not only as a female I could come in and do it, but as the college student, I was still a hardcore mm -hmm. racer, as a New Yorker that I could come in and do it, and showed those boys who's boss. And so <laughs> it, it was really great because that allowed me to start discussions with my team owner from this year and really showed, all right, she's got the goods. How can we support her? So it was just yeah. a catapult to what hopefully will be a really good NASCAR career. You just completed a race two days ago. Where's Irwindale? Irwindale, California is about 45 minutes to an hour east of LA, a little northeast okay. of LA. So it's, I think it's like 20 miles or something. And there's a track there. There's a racetrack there that's a pretty famous uh, shorter racetrack. So it's not on the top level NASCAR circuit, but it's okay. in the development series. And it's a beautiful facility. They get a big crowd out there. And so it was the first race of the NASCAR K&N Pro Series West season, which is basically the last amateur NASCAR series before you go pro. Wow. And so I got the opportunity to race this year with um, the championship winning team from last year. And Toyota Racing is my sponsor, as is Napa Filter. And so that was our first race, and I qualified 10th, which is really respectable. And then I raced my way all the way up to fifth place for a little while and then finished the race in eighth. But it was a really strong showing wow. for my first race. I have a lot less seat time than a bunch of my competitors, so less race time. Mm -hmm. And so the team was happy. The sponsors were happy. The fans were awesome. So How many cars are there in a race? There were 24 on that track. Okay. And so for the most part, we were able to keep running all in the same lap. But we did lap a couple of cars who were at the back. And so that kind of mm -hmm. gives you a sense. It's a half-mile racetrack. Okay. Um, so wow, that's short. It is short. It's I short. could run that. You could, exactly. <laughs> and how long is a race? That race is 75 miles. It was 150 laps. And I think wow. I didn't – I don't know exactly how long it took, but it was about an hour and a half. Does it ever get boring? You're like, oh, my God, I'm on my 100th lap. Yeah. No. No, it doesn't really get boring, partially because you're always racing with people. I mean, there's always that someone trying to pass you. You're trying to yeah. pass somebody. The car fades a little bit throughout the race, so the brakes got really hot, and so they actually don't work as well. So you need to adjust your driving to make up for that. The equipment gets really hot. So you're doing a lot of, like – 
adjusting and decision making and to to stay up to date. So not only are you racing, but kind of maintaining your equipment. And so you're on your toes. Wow. A lot of time. I think some of the bigger races, like the two-mile NASCAR tracks, they might get a little boring, um, mm-hmm. but I haven't done those yet. Um, so you're part of a team. How long have you been part of a team? Was that a new thing at some point? Was that something to kind of get used to? So because I never really owned my race car, I always, I've owned one type of race car, but for the most part, I've driven someone else's race car. So I've basically been on a bunch of different teams over my career. And it's interesting because some, you know, the the chemistry amongst the team is really important. And when I was younger, there was definitely more of a divide with the older guys who were running the team and like a teenage girl who was racing for them. And I didn't really feel like I could jive with a lot of the team. But over the past couple of years, it's gotten a lot better. And as I'm an adult and able to hang with the boys and joke with everyone and show that I'm a person too and a really good racer, that's really helped the overall dynamic. And so last year, for instance, I was racing with a team called Lee Pulliam Performance. He is a champion racer himself. He's a couple years older than me. But him and the crew chief, you know, so different. They're from Southern Virginia, you know, very different upbringing, totally different backgrounds. But we meshed so well and we won half the races last season and went on to win a championship. So it was really successful and it made a mark and it showed that you know when you really view your racer as just that as just a racer it makes the whole process so much better I liked that they weren't afraid of hurting my feelings or stepping on my toes they treated mm-hmm. me the way they would treat any other racer and it made for really efficient learning and really good feedback and just a solid level of trust that we could really go out there and destroy the competition so we're seeing the same thing this year and my team's awesome cool. and they expect me to win and I love that because it means that they'll put 110% into the car which will match my 110% as a driver You know what's insane is that the FDA doesn't require brands to disclose a list of ingredients in their tampons. So most of them don't. And think about this. You're putting a piece of cotton in your body that's absorbent. So anything that's in it, your body is also going to absorb. It's crazy. It's really crazy. You can buy organic tampons maybe at a health food store or something, but no one's really cornered the market on bringing it to your doorstep monthly when you need it with a customizable arrangement of tampons perfect for your flow. I just started using it and I've gotten a package. I got it last week and it felt like I was getting a Christmas present for my period. I mean, I'm Jewish, but I'm just like, it was so great. I felt like I was treating my body well. Lola's subscription service is super flexible. You can change, skip, or cancel anytime and their tampons are 100% cotton with BPA-free plastic applicators. For 60% off your first order, visit mylola.com, that's M-Y-L-O-L-A.com, and enter girlboss when you subscribe. Um, That's 60% off your first order of pretty tampons delivered right to your door uh, by going to mylola.com and enter the promo code girlboss. Do you have any pet peeves? Like if you're driving and someone does something, like throw a banana peel or <laughs> I'm kidding. <Yeah. laughs> I played too much Mario Kart. Are there pet peeves in someone's style of driving? Or? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, there are definitely pet peeves. And everyone has a different driving style. Some people will be, you know, really aggressive going into the corner and then kind of like their car slides a little bit through the center of it. And Mm -hmm. then so that means they're just a little less consistent because you're just maximizing the grip of the tires. And so it's really hard to get next to them and it's very hard to set up a pass. And so the other night, for instance, someone was doing that and eventually I just had to get side by side and we bumped door to door side by side. Did you wave? Just no, kidding. I'm kidding. both hands on the wheel at all times. Um, those cars get away from you. I'm really kidding. Quickly. I'm kidding. Beep, beep. Yeah, exactly. Get out of the way. 
Um, but so being side by side, you just have to nudge a little bit. And that, you know, it's contact, but it's okay because it's necessary to get the pass. Are done. there bumpers? <laughs> I'm kidding. There are bumpers. Oh, really? We have fenders, yeah, and they get oh. they get bumped up pretty badly in races sometimes. Wow. Um, but again, they're meant to crunch a little bit so you can have some contact and keep racing. Do you ever get on bumper cars at carnivals or anything? Are, do, are you super aggro? Are people like, what the hell? I feel like racers are notorious for being pains in the asses uh-huh. at, at these go-kart like, events. Really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're supposed to be fun for kids and families, and we get out there, especially as a group, and, and like, it's like Fred balls to the wall. Yeah, just <laughs> totally going after it and, and destroying the go-karts, but it's fun. I always wanted a go-kart. There was a boy that had one that came over. He drove it to my house once to hand me a note he had written me a note and my parents were like boys no boys here get out of here oh no you didn't get to they drive were, the like, go-kart super mean yeah i know what age did you actually start driving an actual co- was it when you w- went to college that you got like a car did you even so i got my just... driver's license when i was 18 mind you i got my racing license at 13 I know. and um i started regularly driving when I was 20 when I finally got a car at college. And what did you drive? What do you drive? It's a Volkswagen GTI. So it's oh, a cool. stick shift. Those yeah. are fast. They're fast. They're small. It's easy to park. I'm a terrible parallel parker, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. It just... I'm just not... I don't I don't know why. I'm it's just not, not good at it. It's fun. It's not fun. It's not easy. I've never had to do it in racing. Have you ever gotten a speeding ticket? I have gotten a few speeding tickets, yeah. I've had to learn how to use cruise control because I, I just don't like driving oh, wow. on the road. I like You just want to go fast. I don't like the other drivers. Can you do tricks and stuff? Drifting, I can, but I, I don't. It wears the, wears the equipment pretty, pretty badly, and the tires are expensive. So how have you applied STEM to your racing, and what do you hope to do with education that you have and all, yeah. all that you do with your company. Yeah, so with some there's the, you know, physical component and under having a better understanding of how the car is set up and that allows me to give better feedback to my crew chief to make changes to the car. I understand, you know, what's doing, what the balance is doing. So there's that. But then also just in general, I think, you know, racing is such a technology-oriented sport and there are ways that it can be more efficient and more advanced and I hope to regardless of what the driving part of my career looks like, I hope to be able to kind of continue to see that progress and the advancement and to continue advocating and supporting STEM education. I think it's really important. It's it's definitely hit in certain parts of the country, but I think there are so many kids who get really excited by this stuff and they don't just don't have the resources yet. So really trying to work on that and integrating it and hopefully trying to help with the automotive industry and making it more environmentally friendly. That's a long-term goal cool. of mine. Electronic NASCAR? Maybe. Maybe not <laughs> no. electronic. No. I have mixed feelings about that. I like, can. electricity is so cool, and it's really cool what we can do, but I still like the smell it's of like fumes classic. and rubber. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> what do you need to do next to get into the professional yeah. series? Yeah. To make it pro, I need to do a little more racing at this level and just get my technical skills better, but then also secure the funding and, and the partnership to move up and continue to work with teams that use Toyota cars and continue to integrate with those teams that have so much success. And Toyota had their first NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, which is top level. They had their first championship last year. So it's a really cool family to be involved in. It's very concrete. It's just a matter of how do you make it happen, right? Yeah. How do you hustle, push and shove you to get there? We will. I'm, I'm confident. What advice would you have for someone who wants to pursue their passion, who maybe didn't have parents that helped yeah. help them find it as early on as you did, or just kind of like make shit happen for themselves? Because it seems like a lot of your job is just drumming up opportunity yeah. everywhere you can find it. I think there are a couple of things that are really important. One, as we talked about earlier, have no shame. I mm-hmm. mean, if you want something, if you believe in something, you need to go out 
and get it. And not everyone's going to see your vision. Not everyone's going to see its, its feasibility. But if you understand it, you need to go after it. I think also not taking no as the final answer. It's a lot easier for people to say no than it is to say yes. Mm-hmm. And if they say no, figure out how to either circle back later, find a way around that no, and then persevere. I mean, there are so many slumps that you will go through in trying to get what you want, and it's going to be really disheartening. But, you know, if you want it badly enough, you need to understand that it's worth all those lows to get to the highs. If you could power brunch with any girl boss, who would it be? Alive or dead, does it matter? Doesn't matter. I would want a power brunch with Amelia Earhart. Okay. Amelia Earhart is That's a my good one. hero. Uh, she, you know, obviously flew planes when no one thought she should be able to, not just because she was a woman, but also just technologically it was kind of iffy back then. And she just didn't give a shit. And she went and did it. And there's a new movie coming out about her that I really want to see. But I would just want to know what her motivation was, you know, how she fought against the people who were saying no and, you know, what she loved about it. You know, it's kind of deep, more than what we see in interviews, but mm-hmm. like the deep stuff. She's just cool. such a badass. Is there one song that's your ultimate, I want to drive really fucking fast when I hear this song? Yes. There... So my <laughs> pump up song last year, I just started listening to country music, like pop country music oh, really? because I'm in the South, but <laughs> Young and Crazy by Frankie Ballard. Okay. It's, uh, it's just hear this. got a really upbeat, how am I going to get to be old and wise if I'm never young and crazy? And oh. it's that kind of mentality and I think you need that when you're going on the racetrack you just gotta like go balls to the wall and make it work really? yeah so that was cool. that was my pump up cool I thought it'd be like heavy metal or something but no, I like I, I like country, <laughs> country. yeah country I, I really like it last question on every episode I ask our guests the same question and this is something that I talk about on every episode which is our, your girl boss moment our listeners will tweet and post on Instagram, hashtag girl boss moment, and they'll talk about something that they did over the last week or something that happened that hopefully they can take some credit for that made them feel like they were the owner of their life. And it could have been that they gave themselves a sponge bath or had a, something healthy to start their day every morning. It could have to do yeah. with work. It could have to do with health. What would that be for you in the last week, Julia? This last week was big with the racing. And so the biggest girl boss moment for me was during the race to have my team coming over the radio and saying I was doing such a good job. I have six people on my team who are dedicating themselves 100% to setting up the car for me and to show them that their hard work was really worthwhile and that it paid off and that I was doing a kick-ass job on the racetrack. That was my girl boss moment. I proved to them that I was worth it for them. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to set the stage for the season to make it super successful. So that was really empowering for me and for my team and just all the people who are sweating through the day to get that car set up perfectly. That was just, it was a great feeling. Julia, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Really fun. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Girl Boss Radio. We'll be back next week with someone equally as amazing as Julia. Our producer is Shara Morris. Thanks also to Kristen Meisner, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And if you haven't read my book, Girl Boss, do it now. You can buy it at nastygal.com, Amazon, or anywhere books are sold. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at Girl Boss. Our email address is info at girlboss.com. And you can find me at Sophia Amoruso. That's A-M-O-R-U-S-O on Twitter and Instagram. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, the Spotify app, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. Thanks also to the band Phases for our theme song and my husband Joel Jarek to graph for our interstitial jam. I'm Sophie Amoruso. Talk to you next week. 